This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. People say, oh, the end of an era. It's an easy statement to be flippant about or just throw out there. But what it actually means for people of yours and my generation is Bert represents the early connection we have one of the few left with early Australian television. He's been with us all our lives. Why don't people in that situation just come clean on day one? First of all, he was just drinking wine. Now it seems that there were cocktails. Then he hadn't eaten all day. I mean, for heaven's sake, there is no excuse for drink driving. Why didn't he just put his hand up without any, any mitigation? from the word go. I'd be in my element, because as you know, I'm not so much a twitcher, but I do love a mushroom. It's so rare for a child to be kidnapped and found, particularly after such a long time away. Oh, look, it feels like a miracle. You get a sense of what a big case like this must have meant and the joy and the relief that those teams must be feeling. So hats off to them, Caro. They are all my crush. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome everybody to episode 195 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I'm here with my friend Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Hello over there. Where are you today, Caro? Oh, Corrie, I am here, there and everywhere. The good news is um, daylight saving has ended here. Not really good news for me. So we're now 10 hours apart, Corrie. We're even further apart than we were a week ago. Um, because you don't really read daily newspapers, I wasn't aware I'd gained an hour <laughs> on Sunday and felt very discombobulated. Couldn't work out why it got dark so early, but there we are. Corrie, I am on the North Sea coast of um, a beautiful little Belgian town, which is actually on the Dutch border, called Knock, K-N-O-K-K-E. I would have said Knock. Knock, Knock, who's there? Well, the man on the train can pronounce Canock with a bit of a K. It wasn't silent, so we are too. This is um, one of the more, as our friend Sarah um, Ogilvy told me when she recommended I come here, she said um, one of the strangest places I've ever been, but a highlight of her year when she spent a year in Europe a few years ago with her husband, Tim. Corrie, this is the most beautiful little hidden gem on the North Sea coast, famous for its beach, famous for its incredible mansions, these beautiful uh, old white mansions with either thatched roofs or red or brown shuttered roofs, um, um, tiled roofs, and black trim. They are spectacular. We're staying on a beautiful golf course with the word royal in front of it at an incredible big old Belgian guest house called the Hotel Manoir du Dragon. But what Canoc is really famous for is its bird airport. Have you ever been to a bird airport? Um, I have no idea what you're talking about, Karen. Well, Sarah is um, a bird nut, as we know, and we love birds, Brendan particularly. This is where all the... It's basically a massive tourist attraction, a massive nature park on the North Sea, on the Dutch border, as I said, where all the migratory birds come to roost. Um, There are the most incredible sort of sky-high... stork nests there is a, a one kilometer beautiful nature walk there is a there's actually a flights and a, there's a flight uh, arrivals and departures bird board for all the birds 
there's an incredible taxidermy section. I'll send you some photos. And just a beautiful walk around these wetlands on the North Sea. So you're watching all the industrial ships go by, but you're looking at all these incredible birds, um, Eurasian honey eaters. One review said, very disappointing. I saw nothing but a few seagulls. I saw so many beautiful birds. Um, it's um, And quite incredible stories about how they get here and where they go next. You know, they come in around February, March. Um, they go again. They go to the Middle East. They go to Spain. They go to Africa. They go to Australia. It is just a beautiful place to come, and I highly recommend it. Best 10 euros I've ever spent. Caro, is it a bit um, on the nose? You know, a bit pongy? No. Oh, no, 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 no. It, it, there's, no, there's no... Well, I mean, you, you, if you, you don't necessarily see birds. There's all these educational centres, but sometimes they just do just turn up. Um, no. no. Are you saying is there bird poo everywhere? No. Yeah. You know, you know, if you go out to Mud Island in the middle of Port Phillip Bay, it's just one of the most smelly resorts going around. So I just wondered, because it's full of seagulls and bird life, so I just wondered whether it might be the same. Um, no, but there are these flocks of the um, greater white-fronted goose the Eurasian widgeon, the Eurasian spoonbill, the peregrine peregrine falcon, nightingales. It is, it's spectacular. But the the special interactive sort of room where you, this massive room where you watch all these incredible films and very David Attenborough. Brendan did a very funny David Attenborough spoof when we were checking out a few, a few goats. Actually, they're all incredible goats. There are frogs. There are these incredible. Um, you would love it because there's a whole sort of series of species of mushrooms and oh, they actually I'd be in my element because as you know I'm not so much a twitcher but I do love a mushroom well anyway I highly recommend this wind bird um airport as it's affectionately known by the locals beautiful visitor center beautiful gift shop um they even sell a fabulous gin which is related to the bees of the area it's no it's and they actually they were I have to hand it to you. You could be anywhere in the world and you'd find a bottle of gin. Well, you'll be happy to know I, I didn't buy it. I might have bought a few little presents for Sunday. No, but anyway, it's an amazing place and a beautiful coastal area where, unfortunately, there's a touch of the Gold Coast where they have built a couple of high-rise apartments, although nothing like the Gold Coast. But these beautiful historic houses, Corrie, you would love it. I'll report Brendan's off to golf, so I'll let you know about the golf course next week. Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, I hope he I hope he has a good round. Um, I wonder whether he plays by himself or does he get put with another three, with a threesome? Well, he's really hoping he gets to play with a few local Belgians. And um, I think that that's going to happen. But he went off at 8.30, very excited, from a lovely little guest room where I'm talking to you from today. Very foggy here in um, Knock, Knock, but um, absolutely beautiful. Um, so... It is. We've been lucky with the weather, but what is it about Melbourne? I mean, well, we've had earthquakes, we've had bushfires not that I know, far we've away. Been, we've been very busy while you've been away, but um, before we um, slide into uh, matters for discussion, any apologies, any housekeeping? The only housekeeping I can think of, Cara, which I would really love to plug, partly, yes, because it's um, to do with me, <laughs> but also because I think it's just one of those rare opportunities Many potties will be familiar with the Australian author Kate Grenville, who wrote The Secret River and more recently A Room Made of Leaves, which you and I have chatted about on the podcast. Well, she's joining me for a webinar tomorrow night, so we're recording this Wednesday, so we are um, 
probably by the time this goes to air, it will be Thursday. So tonight at 5.30, if anybody would like to join in with a glass of wine and listen to uh, our interview with Kate Grenville, you are very welcome. You can just find the details on the Corey is Reading Instagram account, which I'd love everybody to join if they'd like to. Because um, we're building up a really fabulous reading and book community, lots of recommendations and people swapping ideas, and it's just turning out to be really great. We've got about six and a half thousand people. It'd be great to get more. But the Corey, webinar... not to mention the guests you're getting. What I mean, I, I thought you did well to get me and Mike Sheehan, but I'm feeling very threadbare. You've had you've had Miriam Margoyles, you've had Malcolm Turnbull. Well, we haven't had, had Sarah. We haven't had Miriam yet because she went on a bit of a road trip. Uh, she hadn't seen her partner, her girlfriend, for months and months because of lockdowns in the UK. So she actually, she and her partner grabbed um, some time away. So we're still waiting for Miriam, probably in December. But, yeah, Malcolm Turnbull and, you know, lots of different guests. It's been great. But uh, I think Kate Granville on Thursday night will be fantastic. So any uh, housekeeping for you, lovey? Um, well, thanks to all the lovely um emails I got talking about Paris and I have got back onto the um, feedback website and hopefully put forward a couple of places I went to that I hadn't been before and absolutely loved. But Corrie, I'm a complete idiot and um, I'm disappointed you didn't pick me up on it. But sorry for everyone when I talked about the remarkable restoration project of Notre Dame and apparently I referred to it as the Arc de Triomphe. Oh, you I, did at one stage, but I just let that slide. You were too polite. You were I, too I, polite. I, I let it slide, Caro, because, you know, it's a time difference. You're over there. You you were very heady after your trip to Paris, and I just thought, <laughs> you know, of course the Arc de Triomphe isn't being restored, but that's okay. I mean, I was talking about this almost, you know, kilometre walk. People be going, gee, the Arc de Triomphe's grown since I was last in Paris. But I can confirm this week I am at the Zwin, Z-W-I-N, Nature Park or Bird Airport in Knock. K-N-O-K-K-E, and would highly recommend it. My mother rather rolled her eyes at the North Sea, but the coastline is, you know how it's so lovely to go to um, beautiful places like resorts in the off-season sometimes to see yeah. them all sleepy and snuggled up in front of the big open fire, you know, so, having so a dry sherry. So is the end of autumn, winter weather starting to roll in? It's getting a bit colder, but it's still been pretty nice. We've been pretty lucky. We're still only, you know, really in a T-shirt, thick jumper and a coat, don't need anything else just yet, but I'm sure that that will happen. Did you need, well, you obviously needed a raincoat last week when that storm hit. Oh, Lordy, it was just, um, it was just, it was just bizarre, Caro, you know, just as life was starting to get back to normal here in Melbourne. And uh, as you know, I've done a sea change, so I'm now living down at the coast and it's been a pretty quiet, uneventful lockdown. Well, boy, oh boy, did that change last um Friday, I think it was, when it came in. I can't remember now. I've lost track of the days. But it was just, um, gosh, it was just it was just awful. It was fierce. Uh, it came in. The wind started, well, where we are on the Mornington Peninsula, um, it started, the wind started at about 3 or 4 a.m. You know, things were really rattling and rolling in this timber house. And then... Uh, I woke up at about 5.30 just as the sun was coming up and it was really starting. The rain was going sideways. I was watching trees because, as you know, we're kind of elevated up here with with a lot of, um, you know, national park and, and people's um, properties around us. 
and I could just see all of these trees going hell for leather. You know the um, you know the dreaded she oak. No, no offense to people who love she oaks, but I have one in my garden which I've been telling Caro for the past four years. I wish it had fall down because the the pine needles. I can't grow anything underneath it. No such luck, Caro. <laughs> I thought you might have been out there with the hacksaw and blamed the storm. You know they're native to the area, Corrie. You cannot get rid of that she oak. Well, and of course I wouldn't take a chainsaw, but I was in bed watching it. And um, in fact, I'm looking at it now as I'm talking to you. It's definitely on a more of a 45 degree angle than it was the other, you know, this time last week. But did it snap? No. But I tell you what, we lost a lot of uh, a lot of pines around here, a lot of um, the beautiful cypress pines, some of them over 100 years old. Um, we did think of you at a moment of jest because there were so many pine cones. I walked with my friend Anna, not Anna from the op shop, but Anna from Cape Merchants this morning, and there are a whole lot of uh, big pines across along the Pian Highway that have fallen. You'll be in shock when you see it. And there was one bough that was just laden with pine cones, and we thought, Oh my goodness! Um, what like can we? And you can't actually take a pine cone off a, a, um, a bough. It's very very difficult. Yes, you can. You just have to twist. Very. Well, hard. I would have been able we to. We try. It. We were trying the twist and, and shout, but nothing was happening because they were newer rather than older. But um, yeah, there are pine cones everywhere. And look, thankfully, Caro, those old girls, those tough old girls, the Mooners. I have not seen one mooner that has moved. Thank God for that. But a lot of pines and, and we lost a heap of tea tree. We lost, and not even the dead ones that have died in our garden. We lost a couple of beautiful tea tree. And, um, yeah, it was just, it's so, so this kind of this band came across the Bellarine Peninsula. Uh, Point Lonsdale was hit badly. They lost a couple of beautiful big tea tree on their foreshore in their, in their public park. And then it ripped across Portsea up to Rosebud, Red Hill, Main Ridge, and across there to Flinders. And apparently Red Hill has been a disaster. 63,000 of us were out of power. Some some people, I think they said on Monday, so that's what, four days after the event, 16,000 people were still out of power. And they've had to bring, the SES has had to bring in uh, people from recruits from interstate to give us a hand. And in our road here, Franklin Road, um, not one but two big cypress have fallen on the – so it's blocked in two areas. So at that they are still completely blocked. It's just been um, amazing. The winds got up to about 140 kilometres. So, wow, you know. <laughs> but it, it was... did the right thing. Look, it, it's obviously been horrendous and I can see a lot of people are still without power. Um and there's been damage at our place, but, you know, I'll deal with that later. And we've had lovely people go around and sort of help out, um, which is great. But then by Melbourne Cup Day, and what an eventful Melbourne Cup weekend it was for news stories, including some really sad and some fairly shocking stories and some very happy stories, which we'll cover in a moment. But what a beautiful day it looked like on Cup Day. There seemed to be some roses left at Flemington after the storms. And what an unbelievable story with Very Elegant and Chris Waller, who wasn't going to run her, was in Sydney, which was a bit disappointing that he couldn't be there. But after all that success with Winks, thought that, you know, he probably wouldn't run her, only decided on the day or the day before. That was a brilliant story, Corrie, but completely overshadowed by everything else that happened, really, well, over been, Cup it's Weekend. Been, 
It's been huge, you know, death of Bert Newton, that was big, and the Queen's mystery illness and, and Tim Smith and Macron versus Morrison. In fact, Scott Morrison versus the rest of the world, it seems like, after Glasgow. But, Caro... Jordan, Jordan Degoe in his dressing gown in New York. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been um, not a great time for the Prime Minister. But, Caro, uh, I was oblivious to all of this, although I, I did partake in the beautiful day. Um, as you know, I'm a pony nut. I, you know, I've got my TAB phone account and I always go out to the races when I can, all that kind of stuff. This year it just passed me by. I was visiting the family in Ballarat, which was heaven. And then we had an amazing day at Annie Smithers, the chef, at her uh, beautiful farm that she owns with her wife, Susan, called Babington Park. And there on the, on 20 hectares, I think it is, um, Annie and Susan grow all of their produce for the restaurant. They have animals as well and, and ducks, geese, all that kind of stuff. And we had a tour of the – you would love it, Caro. We had a tour of the farm, of the um, planting of the um, all the veggie patches, uh, how the property came about, its history, the Indigenous history of the area. It was so interesting. And then at the end of our two or two-and-a-half-hour tour, Annie served us um, morning tea lunch, which was just sublime. Highly recommend. Get on to Babington Park, everyone. Uh, the, they're having another couple of tours in November, and then depending on how hot the summer is, Annie will have tours in March. It is a beautiful day trip. So that was my magnificent uh, Melbourne Cup. Oh, it sounds wonderful. I did see some of your social media stories and they looked absolutely beautiful. I must say I've always wanted to go and check out what she's doing. I've followed her career, been to one of her earlier restaurants. She is one of our true um, national food icons. Another one is Stephanie Alexander, and I've got a cracker of a recipe that I think is from her new book. But, Corrie, speaking of national icons, I was so sad about Bert Newton and I've sort of not enjoyed, but I have enjoyed sort of recollecting his career, I guess, and reading some of the beautiful tributes and mainly about what a, a generous performer he was and how lovely he was to everyone who was on air with him and, you know, how he started out, you know, at the radio station and what happened next and the love story with Patty, who was just one of, you know, the great Australian women. I just always so enjoyed her company. I really found that sad. I really, really did. Well, I think, Caro, since... Uh, Bert had his leg amputated, as we know, earlier this year, or uh, I think it was this year. Um, he yes, has, it was. He hasn't been in great health, and it must have been so difficult for him emotionally as well as physically, although staff say that he retained his sunny demeanour uh, right up until the end. But um, it has been very emotional, and I think, uh, I think for our generation what it represents People say, oh, the end of an era. And it's very it, it's, a, it's an easy statement to be flippant about or just throw out there. But what it actually means for people of yours and my generation is Bert represents the early connection we have, one of the few left with early Australian television and the days when of live television and uh, Graham Kennedy and Don Lane a little bit later and Hey Hey at Saturday and all of that impromptu, wonderful, amazing energy that came out, particularly out of Melbourne, 
uh, out of Channel 7 and Channel 9, but also Channel O, as it was then known. They had the Magic Circle Club, which was my favourite show. But um, it was very uh, it was very poignant, I think, for a lot of us to reflect and listen to the tributes and just to go back and reflect on Bert's extraordinary career because he's been with us all our lives. And I can remember as a kid, Caro, uh, Bert and Patty's wedding, can't you? It was just huge. It was, it was. And the transition when Graham Kennedy sensationally left, you know, the Graham Kennedy show and Don Lane took over, Bert seamlessly moved from one to the other. He was so funny, great comedian. His sort of extra late career, I guess, in musicals, you know, like Annie, which he did so well in. And and then, of course, Channel 10 resurrected his career when he left Nine. Great Logies host, obviously. They, you know, Channel 10, when they had the footy rights, tried to get him to host the Brownlow a few times. He would have been brilliant, but he never felt comfortable doing that. But I remember his morning show and being interviewed by him on the morning show and how lovely, heaven knows why he was interviewing me. I guess it was something to do with football, how lovely he was. When Clementine was born, Bert and Patty sent me a bottle of Verve Clico with a little beautiful soft toy in the lid. Um, because I'd done a bit of work with Patty on 3AW. He, look, what you saw was what you got with Bert. And then his, obviously, his um, gambling issues, which he came clean about, and everyone who he ended up paying off and resurrecting his life there too. He's, He's a great Australian story and terribly, terribly sad that he's gone. And I think it's really appropriate that the Premier has offered Patty a state funeral and she has graciously accepted. So there'll be more on that, I suppose, in the next few weeks. Carol, I think it's almost time for the cocktail cabinet. Well, Corrie, that is a very good idea. Clink, clink, clink. Miles, what wonderful wine are you bringing us this week? Well, I thought, I thought I'd pick a couple of wines off the new wine uh, the, the new wine list for Bellotta since finally Melbourne's opened up again and we can go out to dinner and I thought it's a nice way to maybe celebrate and if anyone wants to go down to Bellotta they can uh, have their own personal familia I guess. So Bellotta is obviously the wonderful Italian restaurant which joins Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne I can highly recommend it oh that crab pasta I don't know if you're still serving it but whatever I, I don't know what they put in it but it's just heavenly what are we drinking at Bellotta this week Miles? Well, I've got a few options. I'll start with a, a Riesling, um, and it's called the Garden of Earthly Delights. Uh, it's by... Um, <laughs> Great name. I know, fantastic name. Uh, it's from Cerami, who's kind of a little bit more well-known for Syrah, but this is a really fantastic Riesling, and it's out of Heathcote, which is also a little bit unusual as well. I mean, it comes off this single vineyard, lovely sort of minerally, really zippy, fresh, but very textural style Riesling and really lovely and sort of pretty and aromatic, lots of citrus and kind of white flowers. Really fantastic. It's really great sort of food wine as well. So obviously with a name like the Garden of Earthly Delight and you, you had me at that, but with Riesling <laughs> added to it, it's, it's got, it, I have to have a dozen immediately. Yeah, look, it's really fantastic. Adam Foster, he's made it a few times, and it is unusual. He gets, you know, much more well-known for, for Shiraz, obviously, Grenache, things like Sangiovese as well. So it's a bit unusual, but it's quite an old vineyard, I understand. It's on this really fantastic old granite soil, so really distinctive and just utterly delicious. Fabulous, Miles. So that's a Riesling. Um, what else can we put in our cocktail cabinet? Well, I thought um, we were sort of talking about natural wine, uh, I think, last week it was. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you, I wasn't really sure about your thoughts on natural wine, I have to say. <laughs> 
this is a sort of natural wine. It's from uh, Arfion, which is in the Yarra Valley, um, and it's called the Arfion Fever. It's actually a blend of five grapes. Uh, it's a skin contact wine, so a couple of the grapes spend a lot of time on skins that give it a, an orangey sort of pinky colour. So it's sort of halfway between a, a white wine and a rosé almost. Uh, five grapes, Pinot Gris, Gewurztraminer, Chardonnay, Sauvignon and Pinot Noir as well. So a blend of white and red, a little bit of skin contact, a little bit of thyme and oak, uh, lovely textural, a little bit funky, really fantastic kind of citrus, grapefruit skin kind of thing going on. Again, really excellent sort of food wine as well, very textural sort of style wine. But I thought that was a really cool choice and maybe a little uh, uh, dip your toe in if you've never had any natural wines, that's probably a good place to start. So Arfion Fever, is that Arfion with a V or an F? So Arfion, A-R-F-I-O-N, Arfion. It sounds absolutely delicious. You know, Miles, we've discovered this great little wine bar in Reverenbert, or actually De Pipe, near where we live, and it's called Glue Glue, G-L-O-U, and they have a whole separate, like there's white, red, and orange. And Miles, ask her what the bar snack is. What's the bar snack? <laughs> in fact, they have a lovely charcuterie plate and snails, but they do have hard-boiled oh. eggs with a... Um, I don't think it's with mustard. It's actually a bit more gourmet than that, but we didn't order them. Miles, that sounds wonderful. Arfion Fever, the Garden of Earthly Delights. Is there a, a red that's on the list as well? I did. I did pick a red. Um, it's the Diego and Damiano Dolcetto. Um, I don't know how familiar everyone is Dolcetto, Italian varietal from the northwest up in Piedmont. So people probably know Barolo and Barbaresco, which is a Nebbiolo-based wine. And then there's Barbera and Dolcetto are the two sort of red wines in that northwest part of um, Italy. And it's a really, Dolcetto itself has got this lovely sort of blue and black and red fruits, really aromatic, very pretty. And um, it means, I think, sweet little one is what it means to. And that kind of refers to that lovely sort of sweet core of fruit, which this sort of has. Those like small, sweet sort of berries, lovely sort of sweet spice and a lifted kind of, slightly almost like rose petal sort of aromatics to it. There's a little bit of tannin in Dolcetto. It's, it's not a heavy grape. It's, it's on the lighter side, but it has a little bit of tannin, so it has a little bite like a lot of good Italian varietals do, um, but it's really fresh and crunchy, and with that lovely sweet fruit, it's just a really great sort of uh, spring into summer wine. I don't know why people don't drink more Dolcetto because I, I absolutely love this sort of style. It's really great, and this is a great version. Well, that's really that is really worth the journey. And I tell you what was worth the journey, Miles. We were still in lockdown last week, but I made my way to Prince Wine Store in Bank Street, South Melbourne, to pick up my Miles's mixed dozen. Oh, the the spring the spring drinking dozen. Yeah. Well, what a great what a great um, package that is. I've only had a couple of them, but there uh, it, it, there's so many surprises. I love the choices, and and then uh, they bought out. They said, "Oh, this is also for you, Corey, because you." I must have ordered it, and I completely forgot. So that's how <laughs> You're where not the I only am one. It happens all the time. And I'd ordered um, I'd ordered another half dozen of the Bloody Hill Village Pinot Noir from Hillsville. So I am oh, obsessed clearly good. by that wine. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's fantastic. We were we were really ple very pleasantly surprised when we tried it. It's, it is not expensive, and it is really a fantastic drink. Is it um is, is it a winery that's open to the public? No, I don't think so. So so Timo Mayer, so it's his, the father is Timo Mayer. So he has the property on the Bloody Hill, um, and he, but he lives there. So 
I've been there a couple of times, but only with trade. I don't know that he. I don't know that he does. He might. He might by appointment if you contact him. He might sort of take you around. But as far as I know, there's no seller, actual cellar door. Well, uh, I think I might be contacting him and just asking for a private visit. Hey, Miles, um, thank you. And it was lovely to see that uh, you've opened up and Borlotto's opened up and everything's getting yeah. back to normal. Such good news. It's, it's exciting. It's nice to have somewhere to have a nice drink and a whatever, bit of dinner or a small plate or something. I mean, the food from Nikki's fantastic. So, and uh, great wine to go with it too. And that was Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Remember, you can read all the details of those wonderful selections, recommendations in our show notes. Go to princewinestore.com.au. And remember, if you want to receive the special listener discount, tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you and you just have to put in the discount code capital M-E-S-S. That is short for messenger. Well, from one wonderful sponsor to the other, Corrie, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, are still our wonderful supporters, and they sponsor our crush of the week. And you have a wonderful crush today. I do have a crush, Caro, and it's the policemen and women and the volunteers in Western Australia who have worked so tirelessly for the last 18 or 19 days to find four-year-old Cleo Smith and... As we talk, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, as I said, this morning at 1am, Cleo was found in a vacant house in Carnarvon and her parents uh, and stepfather, her, her mum, uh, Ellie, and her stepfather, Jake, are over the moon with relief, joy, as you can imagine. The stories have been filtering through all day about how she is, how things evolved in those last few hours. Mark McGowan, the Premier of Western Australia, made a really, I thought, quite emotional um, tribute to his force members. And I just have to take my hats off to them, Caro. We've all, over the, over, particularly over lockdown over the last 18 months, we've all watched so many Netflix cop shows and we all have really gained insights. I know it's fiction, but I think it's important because they do reflect real life so often police detectives get involved so emotionally in these kinds of cases. And I was only thinking about that the other day, how exhausting and how demanding this was, because, of course, where the family were camping, camping where Cleo disappeared from, was quite remote and it was on a coastline and they scoured that coastline, the forensic teams, the volunteers, and then uh, the circling that went on with, they had they had hundreds, apparently hundreds of false sightings of Cleo. All of those have to be followed up, of course. And I just think we have a, a, a real sense of just through the drama that we've watched uh, on telly and so on, but you can have a sense, you get a sense of, what what a big case like this must have meant and the joy and the relief that those teams must be feeling. So hats off to them, Caro. They are all my crush. It's a great crush, Corrie, and I must say when I heard the news, when Brendan told me that she'd been found, I was, well, look, it's awful to say, but you just think the worst, don't you? And you make some horrible suspicions and you, you know, mentally point the finger at, you know, people and... To think that, you know, it's so rare for a child to be kidnapped and found, particularly after such a long time away. Oh, look, it's just a, an absolute, it's, it feels like a miracle and well, very was, worthy crush. Yeah, it was quite funny. You know, I took the little girls in Ballarat to have their hair cut on Monday and I was um, 
Checker was off shopping with Max. So it was just the three of us. And one was on one side of the salon and one was on the other. So I was kind of, I felt quite comfortable with the, with the staff, but I wanted to keep an eye on both of them. And I immediately thought of Cleo and I thought, these little girls are her age and they're aware enough and they uh, and savvy enough to know when something is not right, when something is very wrong. And all I could think of was little Cleo being so terrified and my little girls, I became very emotional in the hairdresser, I have to say. So I was thrilled. All of Australia's thrilled. It's been an amazing story. And, um, yeah, so thank you, Red Energy, for giving me the chance to celebrate the WA Police Force. Now, Cara, we will go on to Book Screen Food, and you have a book. Well, it's off the back of your recommendation last week, The Great, the Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which, as you so... Um, eloquently described, Corrie, was this sort of parallel universe story of two different women and how they sort of come together. It reminded me of a book I read a couple of weeks ago, similar theme, obviously completely different story, probably a slightly lighter read, but my brother Will sent it over as part of a um, package, um, gift package for Rose, and um, the other one was a Colm Tolbin, which um, I think she's about to start reading. But this book is called Two Women in Rome. I don't, have you um, have you followed the work of Elizabeth Buchan? Buchan? Um, I have. Yes, I know her name, but I have not read this book. Look, it's it's basically the story of two different women in two different times. The first character we meet is Nina, who may or may not be a spy, living in Rome in during what was an incredibly a credible time of political upheaval in Rome um, from the late 60s or pretty much to the late 70s. Um, Nina is living in Rome, as I said, and meets and falls in love with a man she shouldn't fall in love with. And you realise that at the very beginning. The other woman, fast forward 30-something years, more, more actually, probably 40 years, is Lottie. Lottie has, a like Nina comes from a really fairly tragic sort of family background and has moved to Rome to start work for the National Archives at the Vatican. And she's moved there because she's met a man, a rather mysterious American called Tom. And given how clever she is, there's a, a couple of moments of artistic license where you think, gee, I would have thought Lottie would have cottoned onto that. But anyway, Lottie meets Nina even though she doesn't actually meet her, meets her story via the archives. And the theme, the, the major sort of, I suppose, well, it's not a red herring, but it's a major part of the story from the beginning, is a 15th century piece of art involving um, Mary, um, Mary the Virgin. And it is just the most, look, it's a really lovely story. It's Rome in the 70s. It's Rome in the 2000s. Um, the food, the Trusta Vere, which I know I've pronounced wrongly, but there I go. Um, the area around the Vatican, the incredible sort of um, apartment on the ancient courtyard where Lottie lives with her new husband. Um, there's sort of this sexual, in, not sexual intrigue, well, I suppose it's sexual intrigue, Vatican intrigue, a great mystery, um, a much older man to whom Lottie takes one of these paintings to get him to verify its authenticity. Um, it's the story of these two women and how they sort of come together and how their stories are so incredibly intertwined. I really enjoyed it. Couldn't put it down. Two Women in Rome. 
by Elizabeth Buchan. So that is my book for the week. And I've been reading some crackers, I have to say, but I'm looking forward to The Great Circle. Corrie, you were going to go to the movies this week. Please don't tell me you've let me down again. Well, I... Well, I- I'd let myself down, Carol, because I'd actually purchased the ticket and I was going to change it. And then I thought the poor cinema owner down here on the coast, it hasn't been a, a, a ripe old time in recent months, so I kind of donated it. No, what happened was that we were just so busy cleaning up. That, I mean, we had to clean up the property, clean up the trees and that sort of stuff. And I'd, ha- I'd invited people for dinner and it was kind of like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't even done the shopping. So... It was a bit hard to get to the movies. But I tell you what we have been watching, uh, and I promise this will be one of my final television screens for the year because I'm back to the movies next week. You better believe it. No, but keep them coming. They're great recommendations. It's on, it's on SBS, Caro, so you'll be able to pick it up, SBS On Demand. Indeed, anybody who's not watching it in real time at the moment um, will be able to do that. I just can't remember what what night of the week it's on, but we're up to about episode three or four. It's called Red Election, and it's set in current day uh, London. It's a spy versus spy versus the Russian sort of scenario. Um, it's a 10-part series. It's really, really good. It has uh, Lydia Leonard, who you will know her face, um, I can't think of a big role that she's been in, but heaps and heaps of British dramas over the years. She pops up in all sorts of things, probably yet another one who has uh, Midsummer Murders on her CV. And uh, a terrific Danish actor called uh, Victoria Carmen Sonne. And these two play two spies. Uh, uh, The Lydia Leonard character is called Beatrice Ogilvie, She's a British intelligence officer, officer, and she has to team up with the with the Danish actor uh, Victoria, who's playing uh, playing uh, a spy, a Danish spy called Katrine, and the two of them have to crack this uh, case, which involves uh, potentially a huge Russian attack on British soil, and nobody knows how that that is going to manifest until there is a leak that it might have something to do with the current Prime Minister, who's, I don't, I've never seen this actor, but he's very, very good looking, I have to say, very handy on the eye. And he has called an election, uh, to a, a referendum, if you like, to decide whether Scotland should um, um, go out on its own and become its own nation. And he is absolutely convinced, probably a bit like David Cameron with Brexit, he is absolutely convinced that he is that he will win the day and the Scottish, once and for all, this idea of Scotland becoming an independent country or an independent province or area uh, will be put to bed because he's going to win it. Well, the Russians have something to say about that. And this is all about Russian control seeping through different parts of democratic Europe. It is absolutely fascinating. The first 20 minutes, Caro, of episode one, my God, if that doesn't get you in, um, I'll be, you know, a Russian agent. It is just so fast, so fantastic. But this character of Beatrice is really interesting because uh, the head of the MI5 is played by... um, Stephen Dalliance, do you remember in Vigil, the Rear Admiral? Yes, yep, yep. So great actor. He plays the head of MI5 and actually he's Beatrice's father. 
and he gives her no special treatment. So interesting dynamic, probably quite improbable that there's a father-daughter so high up in MI5. But anyway, uh, there's that father-daughter relationship um, that's going on in the background. So highly recommend it. Red Election, it's called. Um, MI5, MI5 has given um, authors and screenwriters and film <laughs> film writers an absolute plethora of material to work with, hasn't it? The, well, the, uh, gift, the gift that keeps on giving, I guess. So tell me, um, what's your recipe? What have you been cooking? Well, I had to cook the other... Well, I didn't have to, but I wanted to cook the other night for fellow father-in-law, grandfather, fellow grandfather of Sunday, Johan, who was back in town for the last time before heading back to Australia next week. He came back from Stockholm. Can I just say, Johan has had a very good few months <laughs> overseas. Well, well, he's had a long time overseas and he's been unbelievable. He's actually been a guardian angel for Sunday and for Rose and Oscar. And I don't actually know what they would have done without him. And I think he's really relished the time to be with not only Sunday, but his other little granddaughter, Peggy, who was born in Stockholm in June. But anyway, as you know, he's a great cook. I wanted to cook something nice. And um, Anna from the op shop came to the rescue. She'd been to dinner at her friend Karen Kalpokas's the night before, and she said, this is one of the best meals I've had all year. You've got to try it. It's Stephanie's tarragon chicken. We think it's from Stephanie's new cookbook. Yeah, I do remember um, a great friend of my parents and mine, Sue McDougall, saying, you know, who was the person who decided, you know, tomato and basil was so good together? Who was the person who decided having a bit of roast lamb, mm, this is nice with mint, you know? And who was the person who went chicken and tarragon? Was it Elizabeth David? No, way before that. Must have been the French, I'm sure. But this is, it was quite um, refreshing to see a recipe and pretty much have all the ingredients already, you know, in well, in the apartment as I did. As much as I love Otto Lenghi and Karen Martini and all those other wonderful chefs, you know, this involved fresh tarragon and parsley. It involved the best way to do it. They say you can do Maryland's or thigh fillets, skin on, bone in. Um, sweet paprika, I think, was the only spice apart from salt and pepper. But you basically... Coat very lightly, very, very lightly, the chicken thigh fillets with um, a mixture of salt, sweet paprika and flour. You brown them off in ghee, and that's probably the most time-consuming part of the recipe. You then take them out, add onion and garlic, beautiful, soften them, throw the chicken back in, um, add... Oh, before you do that, sorry, you deglaze all the onion with... Um, it says either um, tarragon vinegar... I think, or um, verjuice, but I just use I just use white wine vinegar. That's what I had, and some chicken stock, which I also had. Put a crumple the chicken and all the onion stuff with a bit of um, baking paper. Put the lid on the big Le Creuset pot. Put it in the oven 40 minutes or something. Separately, you cook up Swiss brown mushrooms with cream and a bit of salt and pepper and butter. Sounds really healthy, doesn't it? You add it all together. I think, can I just say, I think that's another perfect pairing, mushrooms and cream or sour cream. Oh, you, and then you add the whole thing together. You serve it with fresh heaps of fresh tarragon and parsley. Um, Anna said with mash, I did it with another one of her great recipes, the potatoes, the sweet Greek lemon potatoes from that wonderful cookbook of the Paran Market fame and a green salad. Absolutely delicious. It'll be in our show notes, Corrie. Um, oh. 
Sounds fantastic. And, uh, you know, tarragon, tarragon is quite a strong flavour, but you're right, it's a perfect combo with chicken. I hate to think where it's growing at the moment in Amsterdam. It must be growing in greenhouses because obviously it's coming to the fore um, in Australia at the moment. But look, thank you again, Red Energy, for our BSF segment. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? Corrie? You're grumpy now, Caro. So um, I can't imagine what you're grumpy about over the other side of the world. Well, I'm on a roll, so I'll keep going. Corrie, I'm grumpy about Tim Smith. I mean, clearly, we've all done stupid things when we are younger regarding drink driving. Well, not everybody. I've probably done it a couple of times when I was younger. And luckily, nothing bad ever happened to me. But to be almost three times the legal limit, to then have the terrible and potentially, you know, terribly dangerous and potentially tragic accident that he had... Why don't people in that situation just come clean on day one? This story, from my reckoning, seems to be in day, day four now in Melbourne, in Victoria. Why did Tim Smith... First of all, he was just drinking wine. Now it seems that there were cocktails. Then he hadn't eaten all day. Then there was a potential um, sad news of a, a friend who might or might not have a terminal illness. I mean, for heaven's sake, you drink. there is no excuse for drink driving. Why didn't he just put his hand up without any any mitigation from the word go? Now, um, the Matthew guy, who was on a bit of a roll, you've got to say, wasn't he? I mean, he was getting a bit of a bit more credence, having come back into the leadership and. Oh yeah, having totally. to... I think I think he's been uh, reasonably impressive, and I think he was quite tough on Tim Smith. I think Matthew guy would have earned a few brownie points from people uh, because he he called on Tim Smith not to contest the next election. Yeah, but Tim Smith is now apparently in a press conference not exactly told the truth about that either, listening to um, what I've been what I've been listening to or what I've been reading, I should say, on various websites from way over here. And um, in the interview when the two women journos from Channel 7 and The Age are saying to him, look, why aren't you telling the truth? He told you not to contest the next, next election and he won't admit that. And other politicians are clearly texting the journos and saying he's not being honest. It's extraordinary that he is trying to dig in and get past this. This man who has called for so many others to resign, who called for Will Fowles to resign when he kicked a door in in Canberra, when Will Fowles, he knew, had mental health implications. He says he doesn't have any mental health issues, Tim Smith. I heard um, a bit of the interview with Neil Mitchell, the obligatory Neil Mitchell interview, where Neil asks the tough questions, but I don't think he gets it, Corrie, and I don't know why. He could have killed this up on Sunday. Instead, for the opposition, they've still got this problem four days later. Makes me very, very grumpy indeed. Well, it's, again, it's a, it's, it's, we've seen politicians on both sides uh, acting federally and, and state, Caro, this year. We've seen them acting with enormous arrogance and uh, a, a view that they are above the law and that um, and that includes telling the truth or otherwise. They think if they fudge it, that's okay, and it absolutely isn't. And I think, I think you're grumpy is pretty fair this week, Caro. We'll move on to six quick questions now for Red Energy again. Corrie, I'll kick it off. Whose climate change message did the best job cutting through the noise this week? Oh, no doubt about it. The Queen, Caro. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Well, Wasn't she amazing? Well, I just think I coming, from, 
from her at her time in life, um, the fact that there has been this illness question mark, mystery illness question mark around her. But the words, and we do know, we do know from all the biographies and all of the, I'm not just talking about royal watches, quote unquote, I'm talking about really good authoritative William Shawcross, different biographers over the years have said that the Queen really does uh, get in and write her own stuff with her communication staff. But this phrase here, it has sometimes been observed that what leaders do for their people today is government and politics, but what they do for the people of tomorrow, that is statement, statesmanship. Well, I had tears in my eyes, Caro. That's just such a great line. And then she implores everybody who's attending the Glasgow conference to achieve true statesmanship at this time. And then she says, none of us will live forever, but we are doing this not for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. And so I wish you every good fortune in this significant endeavour. Well, you know what? Call to arms, everybody. To me, that cut through. Greta, Thun Greta Thunberg, of course, had some good lines, and Boris, even though I think he's slightly insincere, had a couple of good one-liners. But the Queen, in my view, won the bouquet. Caro, should Collingwood stop paying Jordan de Gooey while he's uh, he stood down? Jordan de Gooey? No. Look, no, they shouldn't because... Um... He still hasn't, he's been charged, but he still hasn't had his day in court. And already I see that the the more, probably the more serious charge, well, in my mind, the groping, given his alleged history, was probably going to be um, one that would damage his brand the most. Um, I think for the moment they keep paying him. I think they'd be very relieved. They hadn't signed him to a new contract. There's been a bit of contractual dispute going on and obviously he's he's going for a massive contract, but he hasn't really delivered. And I think this is this is going to help Collingwood in negotiate down if he does stay. But um I think while he is innocent till proven guilty, I think it's okay to keep paying him. But I wonder if this might be the end for Jordan to go given the really violent nature of the altercation that broke out in that nightclub at that Halloween party yeah. and how he was going over to New York, to the States, to involve himself in some incredible, you know, fitness mission and become the new Christian Petraca when really he's just always had a lot of talent and hasn't ever really delivered in any meaningful long-term sense. But if he's found guilty, then yes, I reckon stop paying him and cut him loose. That would be my that would be my my decision. Corrie. Art Garfunkel turns 80 this week. In fact, on November the 5th, where did the time go? Um, you, tell me your favourite Simon and Garfunkel song. Probably not one that old Art wrote, but anyway. We have, to, we have to put this in perspective. You know, what is he, five years younger than Bert Newton? You and I are getting on. But I, I, nearly, I, I nearly dropped the computer when I read that Art Garfunkel turned 80 this week. So uh, Paul Simon wrote pretty much all of the songs, but Art Garfunkel was a real uh, impetus in that. They, they met, I think, in grade six. They were both in uh, a musical school a school musical version of Alice in Wonderland. They remained friends uh, all through that time and they were real collaborators. And I just think the uh, of all the fabulous songs and all the great lyrics, I just think the words, the lyrics of The Boxer, are my true favourite and James going to play it. By his trained and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out. 
in his anger and his shame. I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fire still remains. You know, when um, that, that um, all of that uh, canto kind of um, that, that harmonizing that Art Garfunkel is so famous for, Carol, you can really hear it in that beautiful, uh, almost the last verse of The Boxer when he's I am leaving and he just splits and goes up to this angelic level. He's a really superb performer and I love the boxer. So yeah, that would be my favorite. Now on to something I do I do love that. I do love that song, but Sounds of Silence. Those lyrics. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean I know it's a it, it is a wonderful song. Anyway, sorry. Um sorry I was going to ask you something completely trivial here. What is your amazing Sandharm murder effect? Well I knew you'd love this Corrie. Johan, a fellow grandfather fame, had lunch there last week. Oh! He reported in from Sandarm. He's even shown me photos of that centuries-old pub, that beautiful hotel. I think it's, it's a painted yellow. Anyway, it's not like the, the house where he lives, where one of the main characters lives. But um, he went there last week. He's been spending some time on the Swedish archipelago. Where, of course, there are so many beautiful Stockholm archipelagos, so many beautiful islands, some of them tiny. And I think a lot of Stockholm residents and other Swedish residents have been spending a lot more time at what really have been just summer houses on tiny islands with no shops, no pubs, no nothing, but spending more time there because of COVID and staying later into the autumn and even towards winter because of COVID. But he and a group of friends went to Sandham and you know he gave the series a complete thumbs down. He said, yeah, look, honestly. Well, I, look, I mean, I, I've still got a couple of episodes to go because I'm just really dying to know whether they end up in bed together, the, the detective and the woman who has the house. But, um, you know, when we were in Sunnam, I think I said to you, it is just so small. It's even, it, it even defies midsummer murders. How many people can possibly be murdered on this tiny little island in the Swedish archipelago? I have no idea. Um, well, Johan said the pub was lovely. It was pretty much closed, the rest of the island, as you can imagine, because it was late October, but it did look absolutely beautiful. Well, Corrie, Corrie, um, oh, you've got a podcast tip for me. Um, yeah, I do have a podcast tip for you, Caro. So this was poo-pooed by. Uh, I recommended this podcast a couple of uh, a few weeks ago, and one of our potties actually poo-pooed it and said they found it rather boring. But oh no, not this week. Table Manners, which I've mentioned before, which is with Jessie Ware, the singer, and her mother Lenny, who is a fantastic cook. Um, they're on to series 12, and in their episode one, they invite Stanley Tucci to their home oh, for dinner. Will we get to a podcast without Stanley rearing his head, had that Not beautiful bald head? Slightly sad news this week, Caro. I had this I had this request. In fact, I think it was my fourth request with the PR department at Penguin Australia. Could I please interview Stanley Tucci because I love his new book, Taste, so, so much, you know, so much. And they they flatly rejected me. I am desolate. I have tried to contact Stanley via Instagram. I have <laughs> could they just say there's this girl in Australia who really wants to interview you for a webinar? Can you imagine the numbers? It was so funny. Coco and I were talking about it the other day, and Pete chimed in and said, "Oh." You're making it sound like you're more excited about him than Malcolm Turnbull. And Coco and I both went, you betcha. But how did Table Manners manage to manage to do the job that you couldn't? 
Well, clearly, Caro, they have the numbers. Sadly, we Corey, do. Corey, we just got to keep working on that. I know we but do. Anyway, how was he? Uh, look, it's it, it's a his story is great, Carol. You know, as as we know, so sadly and tragically, he lost his first wife, Kate, to cancer, and then uh, met and um, married his lovely new wife, um, who is Emily Blunt, the actor's sister. Uh, he makes Negronis for her. They have a fabulous life. They live in London. But a few years ago, Stanley was diagnosed with cancer of the back of the tongue. And, of course, this not only was this life-threatening, but, of course, it, it really affected the way he eats food and, uh, and, and what foods he still can't have in his diet. But he, the joy of his Italian background, his family life, the role of his mother, his grandparents in his whole cooking and culinary journey are in uh, not only his book but in the podcast. It's a really lovely, really, if you've got 50 minutes in the car or you're going walking, everyone, just get onto Table Manners with Jesse and Lenny Ware and go on to Ep 1. I think they recorded it on the 13th of October. 13th of October. Caro, what's this week's Dutch fact? I cannot wait. Look, this is a pretty serious fact and something I only found out the other day, I'm embarrassed to say, and you'll love this, or certainly the Queen would, and certainly what's going on in Glasgow would. The Dutch are moving away from gas. Not only are they moving away from gas, but um, they've declared that there will be no more gas produced in the Netherlands by 2030, and it will be gone completely by 2050. Now, this is a... It's it's they decided this in 2018 and it was basically a group of you know unions and community groups and CEOs it was a basically a, a community led push and the reason it's so important is because look natural gas i think to the dutch to the netherlands is sort of like um oil to the gulf states so this is not only an amazing thing that they're doing and economically fraught potentially and risky, and obviously in the short term there are problems because I think they're going to have to buy their gas from the Russians and that gas has, has more dangerous transmissions, et cetera, and they're worried about the Russians getting some sort of you know, extra power over everyone. But in the long term, it is sort of the first or one of the first times that a country has shown that if the community and the government, and it was community-led, get together and agree to do something, despite the enormous economic implications, it can be done. So no, if you buy a house or an apartment in the Netherlands, you can no longer put in a gas oven. You can no, if, and if you've got one, you won't be able to have one at all by 2050, but they're hoping to stop it much, much earlier than that. And the difference it is going to make is extraordinary. I mean, the, if you look at the figures of how gas contributes to so much of heating of offices in the Netherlands, of apartments, of houses, it's quite extraordinary. So um, they're leading the world. And it's just pretty interesting when you look at what Australia is not doing, Corrie, I have to say. Well, Caro, I, I, that is such a happy story for me. I would... Uh, I. I it's funny that you should mention that because I was talking with somebody about how my kitchen probably needs a bit of a reno in the next couple of years. And as we know, gas is a, a, a really good for your, for you, um, particularly your, your um, you know. Stovetop, yeah. Sorry, stovetop, couldn't get the word out. Uh, and But I said, no, I think everything has to be electric. And we talked about this and we talked about 
would people start moving toward? We actually discussed this topic, so very on point. And when you mentioned the Russians, gosh, there's a synopsis for a potential Netflix series. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And Dutch Shell, obviously, it's you know been a massive, massive conglomerate that has controlled so much of it. But and they will whatever happens next, and what's whatever energy source the Dutch move to, and whichever one becomes the most popular, they'll play a major part. But it's been seen as a massive opportunity for smaller renewables, for smaller companies, for for smaller ideas think tanks to try and create different sources of energy that could create a whole lot of whole set of new opportunities for various groups. So I was pretty impressed by this week's Dutch fact. I still haven't had a hard boiled egg at a brown bar dipped in mustard, but I keep seeing them, Corrie, and I keep thinking of you and the very small choice of wine, but a very big choice of beer. I reckon I could get you having a beer within a couple of couple of days. Uh, look, you know, I don't mind a googie egg. And can I just say on pronouncing Dugoe, Dugui's name, Dugui, uh, it's a bit like you having trouble with Trastevere in Rome. I, I just can never say Dugui's surname. Did I just say it right? I can't remember. You did. You said it right this time. Yeah, I have a bit of beer. I just don't know why I've got a mental blank with it. But um, there you go. Hey, Caro, it's just been so fun talking to you today. It's been fun talking to you too, Corrie. I'm glad you've survived the storm. I'm glad little panda's looking so good. Our friend, can, I just, the- can I just show you? I'm holding up to the screen, uh, everyone, and you can't see it, of course, that as I have been talking to you today, she has eaten, thank God, the corner of my 2021 diary, not my brand new 2022 diary. There's not a lot in the 2021 diary between the months of July (laughs) and October. But she's just, she's really doing the nibbling and, um, and it's very annoying, but she is beautiful. The Ballarat family loved her and Bruce, the golden retriever proved to be a fabulous mentor. Well, our London correspondent, Thea Guest, has been in touch. She, Her hot tip for Panda is that when Blue, their dog, started using her crocodile teeth on her, they were told to yelp when she nipped them. So oh, you yelp. And she I said, this worked, this. this worked brilliantly. Um, it apparently... Apparently, they would normally learn that it hurts from their siblings, and so this replicates it. So she says, save the water spray for kitchen counter serving, and maybe that's just a Labrador thing, but she reckons yelp. Yelp when you are nibbled. Thea, that is a really good tip because Coco heard a similar tip. She cried. So she cried like a baby, like, oh, 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 oh. So kind of, because Coco came up to Ballarat with us, there was a lot of that, and I never knew whether it was the dog or Coco. It was very discombobulating. Corrie, thank you very much for today. Thank you, obviously, to our supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. And thank you to Prince Wine Stores. So good to have them on board. And really looking forward to some very interesting giveaways, a Christmas present from Prince. Anyway, you can connect with us, as you know, via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and Miss Jane, the wonderful Miss Jane with her own tree damage will subscribe you. Email feedback at dontshootpod.com.au and Corrie what do we say? I don't know how to say it in Dutch Caro so I'll just say don't shoot the messenger in English. That's one for next week.
This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestyle with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.